now it's time for me to introduce our speaker, Lee San, who came from Culver City to speak to us tonight. <coughs> Lee San, Hi, everybody. I'm Lee San, a grateful member of Al Anon. Hi, Lee San. How you guys doing? <laughs> I love that reading. Oh, my God. When I read that the first time when I came to Al Anon, that sentence, we, ha we, we, we have the right to expect more than mere survival, I was like, oh my God, I've been surviving this whole time. It's all I've been doing. I'll, I'll do this a lot, by the way. <laughs> um, and I don't, my li I don't survive in my life anymore. I live. I live. This program has given me life. And... Um, I'm so grateful. I'm so grateful. Um, I just want to thank the committee for asking me to come and share, and um, Kathy W., who's not here, by the way, for suggesting me. Um, no, I love Kathy. It's what an honor and a privilege, really. Um, the one thing that I want to convey to you tonight is how much I love this program and how much it's changed me as a woman and my life, um, and the life of my son, and, you know, those that have to deal with me on a daily basis. Um, <laughs> so I think a lot of people are really grateful to you guys. Um, so just to give you a little background on my, on my Al-Anon program, um, my home group is the Stepped Up Westchester group um, out by LAX. If you guys are ever out there, come to our meeting on Monday and Thursday night. It's awesome in my opinion, the best Al-Anon recovery that exists. <laughs> um, and um, the founder of our meeting is Vinoy Shaw from, from Lubbock, Texas. And um, she came to L.A. Um, years ago and married uh, a gentleman in the Pacific group named Jim Shaw. And she brought with her the recovery that she grew up with in um, Lubbock, Texas. And our meetings are founded on the traditions of what she learned there and um, oh my god I'm so grateful to that woman she's my grand sponsor and um, I just love her and I love what she um, has brought to my Al-Anon family group and uh, and the people that I get to you know have recovery with and uh, my sponsor is sponsored by her her name's Fran and um, you know, we just we're all doing well, and it's amazing. Um, and uh, so I'm really grateful for that. Um, so I come from many, many generations of alcoholism. Um, my parents are both um, from back east. My mother was born in uh, Hoboken, New Jersey, and my dad. Um, Coriopolis, Pennsylvania, and they met in a bar in New York. And, um, and by that time, my dad, um, when he was 17, he left home and went to, into the army. And he was in France. I mean, come on, how cool is that? But he was in France, and he became a daily drinker from the time he was 17 years old. He was so full of fear. Um, he was the oldest of six in an Italian Catholic family, and, um, and he left home and became an alcoholic like right from the get-go <laughs> and um, there were my, my grandmother has two brothers um, my great-uncle Fioti who died from this uh, from the disease of alcoholism and my great-uncle Samuel who's a young man he was 38 years old um, it was the you know the early 50s he was a gay alcoholic in New York City and he took his own life he hung himself in a hotel room um, so that's the kind of alcoholism that I come from um, and on my mom's side, there's a bunch of alcoholics, but the only, the greatest story I know is she, my mom was at a party with one of her cousins, and he was walking with his drink, and he felt like there was a, two steps down. He fell off the stairs, landed flat on his face, but not a drop spilled. <laughs> not a drop. I mean, really, is that, that's the best. That's the best. Um, so... So my parents had two daughters, and they lived in Hoboken, New Jersey. They had my sisters, and then they were pregnant with me. They came to, uh, to Southern California, and um, I always like to say I have a little Jersey in me, even though I wasn't, even though I wasn't born there. You can kind of see the attitude, you know what I'm saying? Um, a little Jersey girl in me. Um, 
But they came here, and then I was born not long later. And um, my dad was drinking, like I said. And my mom, my mom was a drinker too. But I think I think she may have started out drinking with my father, but. Um, it took its own. It, it took. <laughs> it took a turn later. But um, but what I do recall growing up with my parents while they were still together is the anger. My mother was so angry. She was really mad at him because he he didn't come home. He liked to drink at the bars and um, he was a salesman and so he was always like you know. And one of my first memories of. Um, you know, being afraid, not really understanding what was going on, but my dad, I remember I walked into my parents' room one morning, and my dad was in bed, and he had bandages wrapped around his head, and I was like, you know, I was, I don't even know, I was really little, and I just remember thinking, what happened? And daddy fell asleep at the wheel on the freeway. Later, I found out that he was drunk, and he like took out like 30 feet of, you know that little fencing that they used to have? Just tore it out because um, he passed out at the wheel. So, um, But my mom was a little angry, and I remember we used, she used to pile us into the car to go look for him at the bars uh, late at night. And, um, and, you know, alcoholism, you know, that's what it does. It's like you're waiting, you're wondering, you're checking, you're looking, you're, you know, and it's, it's very frustrating. So much work. It's very tiring. Um, <laughs> just exhausting. But, um, so she was really, really tired and pissed um, and you know really the truth is when there's alcoholism in the house it's it becomes the most important thing and it becomes the the focus of every moment of every you know the attention all goes toward that even if the alcoholics not home you know everybody's thinking about him when's he gonna be here what's gonna happen what's gonna get thrown what's gonna break who's gonna scream you know, and um, I just learned how to become invisible in my house. I tried to. Um, and just, you know, I'd go in my room, I'd read, I'd, you know, I'd just stay quiet. And um, what ended up happening was um, my, my parents had my little brother. Um, they actually broke up for a period of time and then they got, got back together and had my brother. And um, eventually, well, <laughs> one time um, my dad. My mom had gone to the grocery store, and she came home, and she parked in a no-parking zone downstairs to bring the groceries up, and then she asked my dad to go down and move the car because it was in a no-parking zone. So he goes down there, and as he gets down there, there's a police officer writing a ticket for the car. And so he's like, oh, no, no, I'm moving it. And so the police officer de decides to run his name, and... He, my, I guess my dad had a jaywalking ticket, like an old, that he never took care of. So he got, they let, they took him down to jail. So he's, my dad's in jail for a jaywalking ticket of all things. He calls my mom to come and get him, and she's like, "That's where you belong." Click, and she left him there. <laughs> she was really upset with him. Um, all these kids, and you know, she was, you know, she had to do it all alone. You know how we are. Ugh. I have to do everything all the time. Um, it's very dramatic. Um, but yeah, so so they ended up, you know, their marriage ended, and um, we lived with my mom for a while, and a while for like three months. All, all it took was three months. Um, my mother, when she when that marriage ended, my mom had left her family home, her Catholic family home, to marry my father. They had children. They lived together. And then, so when she got her own place after the marriage ended, she went crazy. And um, she was, like, partying and out at the bars. And she had um, my, oldest, my oldest sister, I think, was 11. And then my other sister, 10. And then me, I was 8. And my little brother was 4. And she was out at the bars. We lived in this little apartment in um, North Hollywood on Bloomfield Street across from St. Charles Church, very nice church, mm -hmm. and, um, <clears throat> and she would leave us home a lot. And so Danielle, my oldest sister, felt very responsible for all of us, and she tried to kind of corral us and make sure we were doing what we were supposed to do. And um, my mom, you know, she lost her job. We were on welfare. I remember getting, like, box, boxes of food, like cheese and some weird meat. I don't know. But uh, <laughs> bad. We just ate the lettuce. Um, <laughs> But um, 
so yeah, so you know, Danielle felt very responsible and my sister Andrea, this is when my sister Andrea started kind of acting out. My sister Andrea. She was she was the one. <laughs> she was the one that I chased. You know, there's a part in the big book. My home group is is um you know, we we took a group conscience and we use the AA literature in our in our meetings and we study the AA literature and um, there's a part in the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous in the doctor's opinion that talks about the alcoholic being in full flight from reality and we always add, and the Al-Anon's chasing him. <laughs> so like, who's crazier in that picture, really? Um, so that was me, I, my sister, she, I chased her. She was lots of fun. She kept me very entertained and very busy for a long time. Um, <clears throat> but. So this is when my sister Andrea started acting out. She started running away. She started smoking. She, you know, she was just like doing her thing, and I was just watching her. You know, we watch. That's I'm a watcher. You know, I watch you come in. I watch you go out. I, you know, and then I help you. <laughs> I help you till till you want to kill me. <laughs> um, so so my mom. Um, so what happened was my mother was, you know, she was out late at night, you know, and we lived in this apartment that wasn't very secure. The the front I think the front door lock was broken or something and she used to bring people home, you know, friends. She bring friends home at night um, to entertain. And um one night I think one of the friends came when she wasn't there and he came in and he did something to my sister. And she screamed and he ran out and we were all terrified and, you know, it was a dark stormy night. Seriously, it was a dark stormy night. And <laughs> it was, and it was really scary. And um, so we were all, you know, we couldn't, you know, we were up waiting for mom to come home and crying and she came home, we were all screaming and jumping. And um, not long after that, my dad, when he used to come and take us for the weekends and um, he came and took us for his weekend visit and he just never brought us back. He kept us. And um, and let me just tell you, my dad is a daily drinker and he was the less crazy of the two. <laughs> um, he was, you know, he had a job, he kept his job, he went to work every day. He was, you know, he, he worked in the field a lot so, you know, he could be late and, you know, he was always entertaining clients or whatever. but. But I remember we used to call him every day, you know, to find out where he was because we wanted to make sure, like, we were doing what we were supposed to do before he got home. So we'd call him, and he'd be like, they'd be like, oh, he's out in the field. He's out in the field a lot. <laughs> so um, I, think, I think there's alcohol in the field or something. I'm not sure. But I think there, there might be some alcohol. Um, so anyway, uh, he came and got us, and we started living with my dad. And I remember when we first moved in with him, he lived in, like, a singles building and it was like for singles only and they were like you need to you need to bail you're out of here dude because with all these kids there were four of us so they kicked us out and um and we went and stayed with this woman um I think it was a woman he was dating it was it's interesting when I look back with my dad he didn't date a lot I don't remember him dating a lot or anything but this at the at that part he was he was dating this woman and so we stayed with her for a little while and one night she was at work and we were we were in the apartment and I, I'll never forget Paper Moon was on TV. I'll never forget this. Paper Moon, we're watching Paper Moon. And this crazy man came and broke the door in and attacked my father in front of us. And he just was pummeling I just will never my dad was on the bed and this guy was just beating the crap out of him and um bless you and uh it's my sponsee I have to bless her <laughs> um he was beating him and my I, I remember just standing in the doorway watching this happening and screaming please stop trying to get this man to stop and um so he finally he finally did, and clearly he wanted us to leave. <laughs> he didn't want us there. I think that's why he was beating up my father. Um, I think it was either this woman's ex-husband or ex-boyfriend or psychotic, you know, uncle. I don't know, but he didn't want us there. And um, and so we, I remember we got in the car, and I remember sitting in the back seat, and just I could see my dad in the rearview mirror, and his lip was fat, and he was like sucking on his lip. 
and I just was like, I, you know, it's that I felt sorry for him. I felt bad for him. Like, you know, I don't know. It was just, it was really, it was really tragic. Um, and uh, I don't even, we, we got an apartment after that, and, you know, things kind of settled down. And again, my, maybe that's why my dad didn't date after that. <laughs> it just came to me. Oh. Perhaps, perhaps that stopped him for a while. Um, wow. Don't you love when you get those revelations at the podium? Um, so, so, you know, so my dad worked every day, and so we had a lot of freedom. And, um, and my sister Andrea, me and my sister Andrea, oh my God, we just started getting it. We used to sneak out of our sliding glass door in our room. Like, who puts a sliding glass door in a, you know, preteen teenager's room so they can sneak, you know, who's building these apartment buildings? I don't know. <laughs> but we would sneak out of the sliding glass door and, and we would like sneak around. We were, we, we were like little voyeurs. We'd like sneak around and look in people's windows. It was, I know, really creepy. <laughs> What's wrong with me? <laughs> God, I need this program more than I even realized. Um, and perhaps a few others. Um, so we would do that. And, and, and I remember one, one night we came back and it was locked. <laughs> so we had to go to the front door. Dad. <laughs> <laughs> we would do crazy stuff. One time, one time we had boys in the apartment, and um, they were smoking pot and stuff. And my dad came home early with groceries, so and so we jumped off the balcony and ran. And the boys were still in the room. We just ran down the street with his keys. Took his keys, ran down because we were supposed to get the groceries out of the car. Ran down the street with the keys, and so Andrea's like, "Call, <laughs> call dad from the 7-Eleven, you know, phone booth." and see if he's mad at us, because <laughs> there's guys smoking pot in the house. <laughs> so I'm like, Dad. He's like, just bring me my keys, you know. So those were the early days when it wasn't too bad. Like, you know, I'd get caught smoking, and he'd it'd be like, I wouldn't get in trouble. So it's like, hey, party, you know, if I can get away with this stuff. So I started following my sister around and getting into little, you know, exploits here and there. And... um she started running away, and that, you know, she was, I, she was my alcoholic. She was my, when, as a young girl, she was the focus of all of my attention, and it, it really helped me. It helped me. I remember doing an inventory, an Al-Anon inventory, and writing about my sister, Andrea, and, and getting to the point where I, re I always thought she needed me. I always thought that. She needed me. And in this inventory, I realized, oh, my God, I needed her. I needed her. I needed her to get in trouble. I needed her to be saved. I needed her to be sick. I needed it so badly because it kept me really busy. <laughs> and I didn't have to focus on how much pain I was in, you know, especially as a, as a young teenager. Oh, my God, thank you, God, that I'm not that anymore because it was so hard being young and just, you know, growing up in alcoholism and not frickin' knowing what was wrong with me. What is wrong with me? I remember I'd go to school and I would just lay my head on my desk because I just couldn't do it. Whatever it was, I couldn't do it. I just couldn't. Um, but Andrea kept me really busy. And, um, you know, and, and my parents too. Like, I remember I would go visit my mom and I would, she would be drinking and I would go and, you know, she'd, she'd like keep the vodka hidden under the cabinet in the kitchen. So I would go and I would pour it out, you know, and then she'd just come up with another one. Like, really? Wow. doesn't work. Um, but she, so I, you know, I would pour out mom's alcohol. I never, but you know what's interesting? I never messed with my dad's alcohol. Never, never, not one time. My dad had wine in the refrigerator every single day. Not only did I not mess with his alcohol, I didn't drink it, which I think is shocking. Really? What's wrong with you? I never drank his alcohol. Um, so, and the only time I ever really said anything, I said something to my dad one time about his drinking. He used to hold us hostage at the dinner table. Late at, like he, he was always, he came home every night, he would cook us these great meals, like, and we were always like, roast again, you know, after eating boxed whatever that meat was, I don't know, but roast, pasta, oh my God, linguine and clam sauce, what? We hated it, you know? I'd, I'd like give my left leg for somebody to cook for me like that now. But um, 
he would hold, so I think he cooked these extravagant meals so he could hold his hostage at the dinner table. And like, you know, what are you going to do with your life? He'd get all philosophical and then talk bad about my mom. You know, how do you feel about your mother, you know? I don't know. Now when my son says I don't know to me, smack him, you know? You do know. But I really didn't know, you know? We don't know when we're, you know, teenagers. We don't know. Um, so he would, you know, he would hold us hostage. But so one night we're sitting there and, you know, we're getting the lecture about who knows what because we're just like la, 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 um, just trying to eat our roast. And, um, <laughs> and he, I, I looked up at him and I said, I think I was 13 years old, and I said, Dad, I think you drink too much. And he looked at me and he goes, get out of my house. And he kicked me out. He kicked me out of the, I get up from the dinner table, get out. So I'm like out in the front yard. First of all, we're like the alcoholic family on the block. We're like, there's several broken windows that are never fixed and there's weeds growing. There's also pot plants growing in the front yard from us throwing pot seeds out our, out our bedroom windows as we're cleaning our pot. And um, I tried to transplant them. They, they never survived. It was very sad. Um, <clears throat> he kicked me out. So I'm sitting out in the front weeds. <laughs> and it's like Santa Ana winds blowing, you know. And I'm out there and my hair is like, and I'm all sad. And, and uh, there was this really, really nice boy from down the street. Um, I, hope I, meet, I hope I see him again someday. And he came and he invited me to his house and um, we just sat and talked, you know, and for, for like an hour and then he walked me back home and I sat back down and, you know, a few minutes later my, my dad sent my little brother out to come get me. So I was invited back into the house. But let me tell you, never mentioned his drinking to him again, ever, ever, ever. And so his, you know, his ploy worked. Um, so... You know, I went to high school and all that, and it, it was, you know, I, I really, I didn't even finish high school. It was too hard for me. I couldn't do it. I just couldn't. So I took the GED. And um, eventually, my sister Andrea, who was the focus of all of my attention, um, she left for good. She actually, she actually ended up, at, when she was 16, she got pregnant, and she, um, she had a child that she gave up for adoption. Um, and she, my dad sent her to St. Anne's Maternity Home. And, uh, you know, and that was one of the things that was so, I, you know, my thing with my sister Andrea, I always felt like she got the short end of the stick. I always felt like, like she got sent away and we, ne we never went and visited her. We never went and visited her. That just was heartbreaking to me. She was like my person, you know, my crazy, crazy person. That I, you know, like the, the, the person that I, um, all my other relationships in my life were, were based on that. <laughs> Crazy. <laughs> Until I came to Al-Anon. Well, even into Al-Anon, but we'll, we'll get there. Um, <laughs> but yeah, so um, it was just, I felt terrible. And, um, and I was really angry at my dad. I was really angry at him. And, um, and so when she, after that whole thing went down and she had her child, she gave it up. She came home for a very little while and then she ended up leaving for good. And when that happened, I, it was like I needed some new tools. <laughs> and they weren't good ones that I picked up. So, um, you know, I started having issues with, you know, eating and binging and purging. And that went on for years and years and years for me. And, um, and, and I, you know, I had some drug and alcohol issues. And, um, and that went on for some time. And, um, and uh, you know, I ended up leaving home. <laughs> I had a boyfriend and I, and I, uh, I was just going, you know, I was just going to stay with him for the weekend. And then I just never came home. I just like, I didn't even have any clothes with me or anything. I just never came home. And I, I came home like a year later and, um, my room was exactly as I had left it. It was like a little shrine to me. But, um, <clears throat> so I, I ended up living with this guy for several years and, um, and out in Oxnard. And I, I, rarely spoke to my father rarely like and the only time I would call him is after I'd had a few drinks because I felt I don't know I just 
it, it, talking to my dad felt bad to me. It just, I always felt bad. It, ne it like he'd say something and it would hurt me and then I'd hate him and it was just horrible. So I wouldn't talk to him. And um, my mom and I, like, after my mom left our family, you know, she was she was the one that it was like, oh, she's coming to pick us up for the weekend, and then we'd all be waiting with our little bags, and she'd never show up, or she'd say she was going to call, and she wouldn't call, or you know, she was the she was that alcoholic that that kind of set that that like you know waiting, and then they don't come kind of dynamic going on. So, um, and when she did show up, I was really the only one for some reason. I was the only <laughs> For some reason, Al-Anon, I, I was the only one that wanted to go hang out with her. <laughs> so um, everybody else was pissed and didn't want to go. And I'm like, I'll go and pour out her alcohol, you know. Um, so, so I ended up leaving home um, at that time. And my life got really messy and crazy. And, um, you know, I, I, um, I would just get into relationships that... You know, I didn't really know what relationships were about. I think growing up in alcoholism, you don't really learn much about that, you know? Um, I, I, I knew nothing about commitment. I knew nothing about value. I knew nothing about caring. I knew nothing about anything. I just, I, I just needed, I just needed something that I didn't know what it was. And maybe you have it, so I'll hang out with you for a while and find out but you never had it because I really didn't know what it was so <laughs> my little strategy did not work ever um, but you know so I so I lived with this guy for a while and then I ended up going home again because that relationship didn't work out can you believe it oh my god um, so I went back home to stay with my dad for a while my dad got sober he got sober in AA and um, so he was sober at this time. Now, here's my dad as a newcomer in Alcoholics Anonymous. I, <laughs> it was really weird. Like, he would sit in front of the television eating grapes, shining his shoes. Like, that was his, that was his hobby, I think. I think that was his hobby. And so later I was like, Dad, what was that about? He's like, when he was new, grapes tasted like wine to him. <laughs> so he would eat grapes. <laughs> I don't know. I find that kind of cool. It's very classy. Um, he, uh, my dad. Oh my God. You guys, let me just say this. My relationship with my father today is unbelievable because of this program and because of Alcoholics Anonymous. So I'm so grateful for that. Um, the healing that happens in this program. So um, I lived with my dad for a while, and at this time I was kind of acting out. You know, I was like sneaking out the door late at night, and you know, like not locking it and just coming home at six in the morning so one morning I came home and he he, he came at like six in the morning and he came into my room and he looked at me and he said get up get packed get out the second time he kicked me out of the house this time it was because of my drinking though but um yeah he uh he was not pleased and so I was I was kind of shocked actually but um but I, but I could tell he meant it. He meant it. He was like, get out of my house. And let me tell you, if it was my son, my 21-year-old son, he'd, I'd, I'd be like, get out of my house. I, I'm like that just because he doesn't clean the kitchen. You know what I mean? <laughs> get out. Just get out of my house right now. Um, <laughs> oh, my God. So, so he kicked me out, and I called my mom. My mom. My mom, who's, who actually has not had a drink in like 30 years, She's crazy, I'm telling you. It's really hard. I, I don't even know how to talk about my relationship with my mom today. I have a, like whenever I come and share at meetings, I, I don't know what to say about my mother. I don't. I love her, but I just don't know. I don't. It's so interesting how, you know, I have such amazing relationships with the people in my life who are in recovery my dad, my sister, Danielle, um, my brother surprisingly is not an alcoholic we all look at him like what is wrong with you like who are you he's married he's got kids he's like he moved to like San Diego to get away from everybody he's like happy I'm like wow <laughs> everybody else is like divorced and going like what what are relationships like what does that mean you know he's like 
check me out, you know? So, um, and we're just like, he's from a different planet or something. But, uh, so my, I went and stayed with my mom and um, for a while, and I got a job, and I was, you know, working and stuff, and <coughs> so saving money, and then I went and moved in with this woman who um, my mom and I were mutual friends with, and I ended up meeting a man during that time that... Um, that turned out to be my son's father. Like, I don't know. Um, (laughs) Really a surprise. Um, But this was a period in my my life that was really dark and hard and difficult. And um, I was with this man and, you know, he was a drug dealer and he, you know, he was, um, he was, well, he, he lost his job. We ended up being homeless. So we were homeless. After my son was born, we were homeless for about three months, living in a, in a VW pop-top van. It's very, very nice accommodations. Um, uh, and we'd park at the park and, you know, use the park bathroom to freshen up and things. Um, we'd someti- sometimes we'd get motel rooms. I was on AFDC at the time, and I would use my checks to get motel rooms sometimes, and we'd stay there and invite our friends over and have a party and um, one night we were there and um, and uh, he came he was at the bar and he was really really drunk when he came back it was like two in the morning he came back and my son was sleeping on the bed and I was talking with these other people and and he went into a rage because my son was on this bed and his diaper his diaper was so wet that it soaked through onto the bed. And I was there the whole time, and I didn't even notice. So he was a little angry. Um, you know, it's funny, when I did, I did an inventory, we, we, I remember one time we went up north, and, um, and um, I was pregnant at the time. And um, I was drinking, I, I was drinking while I was pregnant. And he, and he would he like he kept dumping drinks on me like I had like two sets of clothing, we're, and we're out I've been going up to Big Sur in our van. This was before we were living in the van. We were just traveling in the van, um, and it was at nighttime. And he, he would take big tumblers of like rum and coke and dump them on me, and so I'd change and then he'd do it again. And so all my clothes were like rum and coke. I'm like pregnant. I have no shoes. I mean like you know barefoot and pregnant in Big Sur. And, um, and then at one point he got so mad at me, he like just left me in front of this like log cabin store. I don't know, but they drove off. And then they came back and then they drove by a little while later and the friends that we were with tossed 20 bucks out at me. It fluttered to the ground, right? And I'm just sitting there and I'm like, what is happening? You know, because for me, I didn't know how to live at all. Like, I needed somebody, even if they were sick and, and totally screwed up and a mess, I needed somebody else to guide me, to take me where I, I'll go wherever you go because I don't know what to do. And, um, and they left me with 20 bucks. Um, and I swear to you, I remember sitting there and just thinking, what do I do? what do I do? Like, I don't even know what to do. So I just sat there. And like two hours later, they came back and picked me up. Um, So I bring that up because I was talking about this man. He was really, you know, he was a mess. He was a drug dealer. He was an alcoholic. You know, I picked him. And, um, And I was doing an inventory I resented him for so long for those for for dumping those drinks. Like, what the hell? I was pregnant. Did an inventory, and I realized, oh my God, I was pregnant with his child, and I was drinking. He was pissed. He was pissed off. He had a right to be pissed off, you know. And I, you know, that this program is amazing when we work these steps. Like I get to see my part in everything that happens. You know, um, so I got to see that, and and it made complete sense to me. I was like, of course, like I'd be pissed too, you know, even though it was me doing it. But I was pissed. I was pissed at myself for a long time. It took me a long time to feel good about being a mother. A really, really, really long time. Many, many years. Lots of inventory. Lots of reflection and. 
self-forgiveness at some point. It took a long time for it to come. Um, but anyway, so um, I was living with this guy, and you know we were homeless and whatever. And so that night he he came in and he was going to beat me up, and it was crazy, and it was like dramatic. Two o'clock in the morning, he's screaming, screaming. He's going to take the kid and get in the car, and I, I don't want him to go because he's drinking, and I don't want him to take you know Sean in the car with him. And so he, they, my friends got him to leave, and I then and and so I was like, okay, God, if if. Uh, just get me through this night. Just don't let him come back. I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna stop. I'm gonna change my life. And so the next morning, I woke up and I went and called my dad. And um, and you know, I, he came and got us, and he let me come and stay with him for a couple of weeks. And he wouldn't. He he made me look for a program that would take my son. You know, like a therapeutic community <laughs> that would take my son and me, because you know, because we were homeless. We didn't have anywhere to go. And so that I could um, get some living skills and get my life together, and um, and so we found a place, and and uh, I went there, and I stayed there for 20 months, and I um, slowly started to learn how to live. I remember being like, you know, unpacking my stuff, and they always have somebody there, like, to go through your stuff to make sure you're not bringing in any weapons or anything, you know. And they were like, I mean, I'm homeless. I'm coming out of a van. And people, <laughs> some of the people are like, this is nice stuff. <laughs> really? Have it. Take it. It was like a Freddy Krueger looking sweater. I'm like, oh, my God. Anyway, it's crazy. But, but you know, th- that place started my life. And, um, and so I stayed there for And I had my son with me. And, um, and we... we you know, I got a job, and I and I, you know, started to make some money, and I got off welfare, and I um, got my dad gave me a car, and so I had a car before I had my license. You know, I thought, oh, my, you know, I can drive. I'll just drive. No, you have to practice. Apparently, <laughs> I'm like, I'm 27. I can drive. I've never driven. I'll drive. And I, sw- I, I think I had some of the people from the program in the car with me one time, and. Like, I, why were they letting me drive? I didn't have a license. But I'm like, I couldn't figure out how to stop, let alone, like, I went through a red light and people are coming off the freeway and everybody in the car is screaming. It was crazy. Um, so then I, re- and then I took the test. I went and took the test. And, and he told, so he was, like, scared at some point. He was just, just go back to the parking lot. So I went, he, and I went to signal and my windshield wipers started going. He's like... <laughs> You need to gain more control of your vehicle. So, so I didn't pass that time. So I asked for some help. <laughs> you know, we don't ask for help. Like we don't want to. I don't want to ask for help. So I didn't. I was like, I can drive. You know, I'm I'm clear. I'm clear-headed. I can drive. And I couldn't drive. So um, and then and then so I did the next the second. I got some help and people told me, oh, you don't when you when they tell you to back up, you don't have to hit the gas. Just let the car roll. Because I'm like. Arr! you know driving um so I did better the second time because I asked for help and um got my license and I'm telling you for the first you know couple of months while I was driving I uh every if you were in the car with me you're not allowed to talk I need silence I couldn't smoke I used to smoke back then there's no smoking or radio it's I have to concentrate on what's happening because it was very serious. Yeah. You heard whoa, whoa a lot in my car when other people were traveling with me. Actually I think you kinda of still hear that in my car. I like to I like to I like to get where I'm going really fast. <laughs> now. Um, okay, so so I was introdu- introduced to the 12 steps at that point in my life, and um, I started going to meetings and stuff. And uh, my sister Danielle was sober, and so uh, her and my dad got sober, and then they introduced recovery to me, and I got to uh, start a new journey in my life, and with my little son, who um, I just love, and. Being a mother was very difficult for me. You know, I uh, I had no idea what I was doing, and and I, you know, I immediately got into a relationship, and um, you know, so then we focus on that. Uh, but like, I focused on what's wrong with it, 
like it's wrong and I was focused on what was wrong with it for 10 years you know it's, it's just like really like why I don't it's like there's something wrong with that like I don't know but um, he was he was a sober alcoholic and he just wasn't doing it right you know God, so frustrating if you just listen to me um, <laughs> and um, but you know what this was a guy that tried so hard to make me happy but you know what the thing is if you don't know what makes you happy nobody is gonna make you happy because nothing makes you happy I did not know I didn't even know who I was I had no idea I didn't know anything. All I knew, really, honestly, was that life is hard and bad. That's all I knew. And, um, you know, so I was working, and I got this really good job, and I, and I kept getting promoted. So that part of my life started getting better. Like, I was making more money, and I was able to support myself and my son. You know, I, was, I didn't, his dad was, his dad to, to this day is still drinking and using, and um, he, uh, he just, he's never com- contributed. So I've, I've ra- I always think, like, I raised a son in Los Angeles, California, by myself, on my own income, an uneducated woman. Like, how the hell did that happen? You know, you'd think I was doing stuff on the side. I wasn't, really. Um, but I got really lucky, and, um, and I got this job in real estate, and, uh, and I got promoted, and I started to do leasing, commercial leasing, and so I would get these great commission checks along with my salary. It was fantastic and um, and I spent it all like oh my god there's I have nothing to show for it <laughs> oh well but um, but but I do have a son that I raised and that was very very good and and, and um, my son it, it turned out that he had some learning disabilities um, it was really hard and he had a really hard time in school and he struggled with depression from a really young age and it was brutal brutal so then he kind of became my obsession I found and uh, and so I was constantly trying to find the answer what is the answer for my son I put him in special school did the IEP you know he had like AB 3632 psychology whatever I don't know he was in therapy for years all this stuff um, the UCLA depression study because he drew a picture of himself in a coffin once you know and everybody's like oh he's gonna you know he talk about suicide now now this is what he says to me I think I just wanted the attention really kill him I'll kill you you know Um, because it was really scary I remember just laying awake at night just going oh my god how is this kid gonna make it (laughs) I'm so dramatic how is he gonna survive Um, he's you know he's survived so far Um, so he was in special school and and that helped a lot I got him um, it was so funny. I was one night. I was uh, well. My son was having struggling so much in regular school. Kids were teasing him. He was socially awkward, and you know he would just sit in class and read books. Thank God he was a reader. You know he loved to read, and he would read, and and then he'd go under the desk and into the coat closet, and everybody thought he was a freak. So um, <clears throat> you know, so so he had some difficulties, but. Um, so he was in special education and they wanted to put him in special day class and I was like and I I knew some people in program who were like who were special day class teachers do not they were like no 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 they said when you go to the next IEP you tell them I want him to go to non-public school and I said okay so I had really good like advice so at the next my son was in fifth grade and he was really having a hard time and and I and I went and I said don't even mention special day class to me don't even, you know, we get all like crazy. Don't even, I don't want to hear it, you know. And they had an advocate there from LA Unified School District who just signed off. I, what I would do when I was in these meetings with these people is I would just tell them my story a little bit because I wanted them to know the truth about who I was and who my son was and what happened. Like, you know, I drank during my pregnancy and I don't know if that's affected him, if that has anything to do with what's going on here, but I want you to know so that you can help him. I just want you to help him, you know? And so I told my story to these people. And this woman that was there from LA Unified just signed off on my non-public. And that's unheard of because they have to fund the schooling for the kid. So about two years later, I was at a meeting. And there was this woman speaking. 
And I was like, God, she looks familiar. You know, who is that woman? So afterwards, I went up to her and I said, were you like a counselor at Via Vanta, you know, the place I was at? And she goes, no, I was, I was the um, LA Unified Advocate at your IEP. I'm the one that gave your son non-public school. And I just hugged her. You know, I just hugged her. Um, that's the kind of stuff that happens in this program in, in recovery. And so um, time went on and um, I, you know, I'd been, I'd been around recovery for about 10 years and I could not figure out what was wrong with me. I was unhappy. I was miserable. I just, you know, that freaking relationship was wrong, wrong, wrong. It was just wrong. And um, I was afraid about my son and I was you know, everything was hard. Everything was just painfully hard. And I was like, what, you know, why are other people doing well? I just couldn't figure it out. Like, what is wrong with me? So it was 10 years and I was celebrating 10 years and I, and I, I, uh, I made a decision. There's got to be something I'm not doing right here. There's got to be something missing. And, um, and so I made a decision to, to, find somebody new to work with and to work with me and um, turn my will and my life over to the care of that person. Just do whatever they told me to do. I will do whatever you tell me to do. And so I found this woman. Actually, it was weird. I remember I didn't really know her, um, but I'd met her. My sister was getting married, and we, she sponsored my sister, and, and we met. And... Um, and uh, I didn't think anything about it. I didn't think, oh, she has what I want, nothing. I just met her. And one day I was sitting in my office at work, and I'd been praying for months to please bring somebody into my life. And um, somebody, somebody really loudly said, Darlene, like, but there was nobody there. <laughs> but, I mean, it was really weird. I heard it loudly in my head. Like, it felt like somebody spoke that name. And I was like, oh, Darlene, Okay. So I started calling her, and let me tell you, within 30 days, she had my butt in the seat in this program. So that was the catalyst to um, me coming here. And, and immediately, I started hearing things I'd been hearing for years, and, and I felt like, oh, that's what that means. Like, I needed this program. It was the missing puzzle piece for me. And... Um, so I got a sponsor here, and I started reading this fabulous, fabulous literature, which I cannot get enough of. My new favorite thing now is I collect Alateen literature, because <laughs> I'm like trying to get in touch with the Alateen inside me, because I know that I know that she's in there, um, <laughs> and I know that because my boss holds me hostage at my desk and talks at me, and I and it like makes me want to commit homicide and I think I think it's like a reminder of my dad maybe I don't know but but I feel violent like stop talking you know and I I had this episode at work the other day where he was doing that and I I was I felt like I was gonna throw up I was so like locked up I was just oh my insides were just locked up and I, I felt physically ill. I remember thinking, okay, if I throw up, I gotta pull the trash can over here right now. And so, I, but, but I was fascinated by my reaction. Like, what the hell was that? It was so big. It was so big and I could feel myself holding it back. And that's why I was ill, because I was holding it back so, and I thought, there is an ugly, angry monster living inside of me that like, is scary like it was scary and I it, it just fascinated me I was like what is that so I started kind of thinking about it and I remembered oh my dad used to hold this hostage I'm not a good listener I don't want to listen to anybody because I was held hostage at a dinner table and made to listen so um it just it, so all of a sudden I'm like oh I, I think I need to get in touch with my little Alateen she needs to rage a little bit <laughs> just put away all the knives and you know blunt objects um, so, so anyway, so, so I started raising this kid in recovery and, um, my son at that time was, I don't know, 12 or 13 and, um, you know, the old timers in Al-Anon, gotta love the old timers in Al-Anon. Um, I was so worried about this kid. Oh my God. I just, 
God, I just want him to be okay. You know, and um, it was suggested to me that I introduce him to Alateen. And so I did, and he did not want to go. He did not want to go. He did not want to go. So I was talking to this woman, Corinne. She's an old-timer in my um, Al-Anon group. And she said, oh, well, just, she goes, just tell him he has to go till he wants to go, and then he doesn't have to go anymore. And I was like, really? Like, that works? And she's like, it totally works. And so I told him, you, ha- you only have to go till you want to go, and then you don't have to go anymore. And he was like, he did not want to go, but he would go every week. I would take him. I would take him to, there was a meeting in Culver City at the Grace Lutheran Church. There was an Al-Anon meeting, an AA meeting upstairs, and an Alateen meeting. And so I would go to the Al-Anon meeting, and he would go to the Alateen meeting. And that is his home group meeting today. And he has been a member of Alateen since that day. And he started wanting to go. And so then I didn't even have to give him a ride. He started walking. (laughs) Awesome. Um... So my son has been a member of Alateen um, for, for quite some time now, and he's, he's, 20, he's going to be 22, and so he's having to transition out. He's, it's really hard for him. He loves his friends. He still goes to SCAC. He's still, you know, he was just at the Alateen meeting last week because um, uh, he had the night off. He's working right now. He's not going to college. We tried college, but he's, you know... Why pay for something that he's, he would, he, I mean, he's really good at showing up. He shows up and he doesn't do anything. I'm like, that's not going to work. I got to pay for this stuff, you know? So now I'm in college. <laughs> it's very nice. When your kids get older, you can go to college. Um, so I started working the steps in this program. I love this book. And that reading that was read out of this book tonight, I chose specifically because I am. I don't have to survive anymore, and I just and all those things. Like I didn't know any of those things about myself. I didn't. I. I. I had been around recovery for ten years before I got here, almost eleven actually. I didn't know any of those things. I didn't know there was like love. You know, this person, this lovable person with a great capacity for joy. Joy. Oh my God. No. Everything hurt. Everything was hard. And I got here, and it, it started changing rapidly for me. I mean, I was like the Pied Piper. People were following me in that knew me for years. They're like, what the hell happened to you? Because I went from like, not, I'm not kidding, I went from this, like, hi, how are you? What's going on? To like, hey, like I went from black and white to technicolor. Just like, I, it's one, I remember one girl describing me. She goes, you're like a bright, shiny penny, you know? That was like, Wow. And then somebody else said I was the sparkle. <laughs> Apparently I'm very bright and illuminate something. I don't know. But um, yeah, I don't know. Yeah, craziness probably. But um, so I started, I got a sponsor and she started taking me through the steps. And I didn't, re- you know, I didn't really understand what it meant to like, you know, I mean, I got, I was powerless. I got my life. I felt everything felt unmanageable to me. But like God and and turning your will, like how can you turn your will and your life over to something you don't believe in or don't, like I used to hear people talk about God from the podium for years and I'd be like, they're just saying that. They're just saying that. Like that's, everybody says that. That's, everybody just says that. That doesn't mean anything. And um, I was having a little crisis one day. And when I, when I'd come into Al-Anon, I made a decision. Like I am going to, when it, tell, call, pick up the phone every day, call my sponsor, tell her what's going on, and then do whatever she tells me to do. Okay, so that, that was kind of like what I did. And one day, um, I was still in that 10-year relationship, and I, I was, we, we, were, we were having a date, and I didn't want to go, because I was just like, it's not right. Like, why do you stay in something 10 years saying it's not right, and, and stay anyway? Like, it's crazy, but anyway, I did that. Um, poor guy, that poor guy. He's married now and happy and in Florida, so that's good. I'm really happy for him. And his, I, his wife is fantastic. Like, I, I wish she could be my friend, but I think he has resentment that's kind of overflowed. I don't know. We're not allowed. <laughs> but anyway, um, so I was, like, calling. I called her, and I was like, oh, my God, I have to go on this date. I don't want to go. I hate uh. And she didn't answer. I left her a message. And so I thought, I, I said, okay, but I'm not going to do anything until you call me back. And I hung up. 
and she, you know, and so he showed up, and we had to go, and I didn't want to go, but we went, and I just, because I wasn't going to change anything until she called, so I went, we were at the mall, I was in like the Gap dressing room, ring, ring, my phone, I'm like, oh, thank God, so I'm in there, and I answer the phone, and, and, uh, I'm like, oh, this is horrible. He's out there. I can see him. I could see him through the thing, you know. <laughs> and she was like, you know, she was <laughs> just hating him, glaring, you know. And and she was so like, you, you know, we have to love the, you know, all the parts of our our sweetheart. She used to call, you know, her her girlfriend her sweetheart. That was she was so sweet. And um, and she was and and she said, you know, do you real? She goes, you you realize. You just worked the first three steps. And I was like, what are you talking about? And she said, you were powerless over a situation and your life was unmanageable. You didn't know what to do. So you made a decision that maybe, maybe it could be different if you did it differently. So you picked up the phone and you called me and you waited for me to call you back. And I burst into tears because I never knew what it meant to work the first three steps. I never understood what it meant to turn my will and my life over. I had no idea what that meant after all that time in recovery. It had never been explained to me. And it was so simple, like just do it someone else's way, Lisan. Oh, <laughs> what? Um, so I did a fourth and fifth step, fifth step with that woman and um, and you know, she, her, and her partner were building a house in in Burbank, and um, and I'll never forget sitting in their living room, in this house that they were building. There was no roof, there were no windows. The birds were chirping. Anne was outside hammering, you know, working, and I was sitting in the living room, reading this fifth step to my sponsor, and just feeling like I used to call that house the happiest place on earth because I think it was the first place I ever felt like welcome and safe like if I was there I was always welcome and it was always safe to be there and um you know and so so I so I finished that fifth step and and you know did six and seven I was really astounded to find I had character defects really and and but what was funny about it was like I would, I would see, like, I, I, one would come up, and I'd be, you know, and we're like, it's like something bad, but then I'd be like, oh, my God, and I thought it was so hilarious, because, like, I'm a jerk, you know, I'm an a-hole, and, and I didn't know, and, and it really, like, the program, it works if you work it, it absolutely works, like, things change, and I started to see that, you know, once I become aware of these character defects, that's always the be beginning of change for me. So, um, and they, and they, it's like a constant battle of these things, you know, like a couple of years ago I, I was told I was immature and the night before I had like a tantrum in my kitchen because I got home late and the dishes weren't done and I had to cook and I was like screaming profanities, like, like having a tantrum like a small child, stomping my feet and screaming with the window open, all my neighbors were probably like, psycho lady. Um, and so the next night I was reading like a first step or something to my sponsor and she's like, oh yeah, you're immature. And I was like, because oh, I flashed back to the night before and I was like, that's immaturity. Oh my God. Oh, I was like, I mean, I was like 40 or 43 years old, 44, I don't even know, but this wasn't that long ago. And um, I was like, I couldn't believe it. I'm immature. And then, but then I thought, well, what's the mature response? And that stumped me for a while. Um, I was like, they should have a video. Immature response, mature response. You can watch it and learn. Watch and learn. But they don't have that. Um, <laughs> but I did learn. I have learned. And I'm always, not always mature. Um, so today, let's see. I want to talk a little bit before I end. My life is amazing. Let's just say that. I love it. I love recovery. I love this program. I love. I get up in the morning at 5 a.m. because um, I start taking calls at 6:15, and I want time to sit and to you know I read out of conference-approved literature and I write, and then I call a sponsor and read that writing. I take calls from sponsees. Um, I go to a lot of conventions. I love conventions. They're so much fun. Um, 
one in particular, my favorite, is a women's conference called Girl Talk. Um, it's coming up in a couple of weeks. I'm taking my sponsee for the first time. It's very exciting. Um, I, I, I actually got married at one point to, a, um, to somebody I met in program, and um, God, I, I, you know what? I never give myself time to talk about that. I wonder if that's like strategic. <laughs> Let's just say I acted really badly. And um, I couldn't stop looking through his stuff to find the clues of what he was doing. He liked, he liked to go on the computer. You know what I mean? He was on the computer a lot. And that made me crazy. Um, he was looking at things on the computer. And, and then, I guess, taking what he saw and taking it out into the world. I don't know. But, um, but it wasn't good. And I, I just, it, my reaction to untreated disease is I become a crazy person. <laughs> there is no amount of recovery in this program that will keep me from becoming a crazy person if you are not in recovery with your disease. I just can't take it. I just, that's just my story. I, I, I don't know. It just is what it is. And I, and I accept that about myself and I steer clear of the active people because <laughs> I can't handle it. Your disease is way more powerful than me and there's not enough recovery in the world to keep me from being psychotic, so I'm sorry. Um, but I, I, you know, I couldn't stop looking through his things and confronting him and doing all this crazy stuff. And um, finally, what I realized is that, you know, I just, I didn't, I, I couldn't meet the requirements to be in that relationship. What was required of me to be in that relationship as a woman in recovery? I couldn't meet those requirements. I just can't live like that anymore. And so I, ha I ended that relationship. And um, we had moved to Florida. We came back home. And I thought I was going to hit the ground running. I'm back with my people. You know, it's going to be great. And oh, my God, it was not good. I Well, first of all, I had to do like a gnarly sex and love inventory, which was really exciting and horrible. Um, and, and just really un, uh, rec uncovered some interesting things about my value system when it comes to relationships or lack thereof. And um, what I do and how I behave and how I share my energy with you and, and just inappropriateness and all the things that I didn't know. I didn't know that I was doing that. I didn't know. And um, so uh, I'll say this, that, you know, it's this, it, 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 there's a part in the big book that in the family afterwards that says, Cling to the thought that in God's hands, our dark past is our greatest possession because with it we can avert death and misery for others. And that was a dark period for me, that marriage, my behavior, what I was dealing with with him. Um, it was painful. It was hard. I dragged my son through it. Um, it's a gift in my life today because it changed me as a woman. I am a different woman, I think cellularly because of that relationship. Um, I came home from that and I, I was in my son's room one day and he was, he was getting something out of his closet and he stood up and I went, oh my God, he was 6'2". And I thought, I was supposed to be raising a man this whole time. And I wasn't, that's not what I had been doing. So I really changed my life and I started going to meetings on the weekends and being home during the week and helping him get through his senior year of high school in regular public school and he graduated and um, we have a great relationship today he and I were close um, and I'm able to let him live <laughs> which is really amazing it took a long time because I was so afraid like you know it was all about like if something bad happens to him I won't survive you know and and it's so funny because we think that's love I think that's loving him but really it's just it's all about me it's all about me it's all about my level of comfort and so he gets to go out and have a life today um, but he is definitely affected by those behaviors in me he's you know he's he's he has his own struggles and um, but he's a great great young man and he hasn't had a drink yet Praise Jesus. thank you um, my dad is as I said a sober member of AA and he had cancer um, a couple of years ago, and he. I went to go visit him and um, and sit through a chemo treatment with him. And you know, through that process, my dad is. You know, I mean, 
outside issue, but he's Catholic, and he used to send me all kinds of propaganda, and let me tell you something, it drove me nuts. It pissed me off, don't send me that. I used to send him emails, I was angry. Every time we were on the phone, I'd be gritting my teeth, because all he would talk about was that, and it angered me. And um, and I went and visited him, and then I became Catholic, so whatever. Um, <laughs> there's more to the story, but that's what happened. It happened, and, um, and let me tell you, having having the program recovery the 12 steps to share with my father and having that to share with him too is so special and I didn't know at the time when when I don't feel like I made a decision I feel like I was called to that and it just happened something he said one thing to me and it just got me it just got me and I I, I don't know and then it just became this journey and I was as shocked as anybody. Like, really? You're going to? No. I never would have guessed that about myself. But it did happen. And, um, and I'm really happy for that part of my spiritual life today and that I get to share it with him. But what happened was I didn't know that it was going to heal me in a way where I feel more connected to my family, like my big family, my generational family, because we're all that. Everybody's Catholic. That's, that's where we come from. So that, it's healed me in that way. And, um, and uh, you know, let me say this. Both my parents went bankrupt in their old age, and um, there's no inheritance. There's nothing. Like, we got nothing going on. Um, I think I got a teacup from my grandmother. Like, that, that's, that's my, my, uh, my family heirloom, which I love, by the way. I pretend, I'm always like, don't let an earthquake come and break my teacup. It's all I have um, of the family, you know. But... Um, Here's what I realized, is that my inheritance is Alcoholics Anonymous, Al-Anon, and my family religion. Like, that's my inheritance, and it's enough. It's enough. Like, I, I like who I am today. I really do. I'm happy with my life. I have good relationships. Um, you know, I have hope for my mom and for my sister Andrea, who's hasn't been able to get sober um, you know I, it, I'm amazed I'm a college student today my son you know my son got I, I was like I hated my job and I was just like and I didn't know what to do and some somebody said something about this accelerated transfer program and I thought oh maybe I'll try college I love it it's so great like first I wanted to be a, a you know an activist and then I was like a politician because I'm going to make the changes you know I'm like doing the Al I'm like going to Allen on the whole world right I'm going to make things happen and take care of it all but every class I'm like wanting to be it's like I feel like I'm a little kid every class I want to be something different a musician you know like like you know it's very funny but it, it, but it's so exciting and fun and I'm meeting a new set of people and the camaraderie and it's it's awesome so my life has changed because of this program and the steps and, and the uncovering and the discovering and this discarding and the people here, you know. I've learned so much. I, you know, I don't want to be needed and I don't want you, you know, I don't want to need you. I don't, need is not okay, never has been, it's not okay. And what I've come to realize recently is that need is absolutely normal for humanity. Human beings need each other. It's the way we need that's the problem. So I just need to reel back the need, you know, and I also have to let other people need me. That's why being a mom was so hard for me, because being needed is painful. Um, so, so, you know, this, this program has taught me how to love and to need and to be needed and, and to share and to, you know, carry my head high, even though I do have a very dark past <laughs> in recovery, by the way. Um, and uh, I'm just grateful. I'm grateful for all of it, and I'm grateful to be here and to have been asked to share. So thank you so much. Thank you, Lizanne. That was.